and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, you might well be familiar with my guest today because she's been on the media for quite some years. Maggie Oliver was a detective with Manchester Police, but she resigned in 2012 in protest at the handling of the grooming gang scandal, or indeed the way it wasn't being handled. She became probably one of Britain's best-known whistleblowers. Since then, she has worked tirelessly on behalf of victims of child abuse and indeed started the Maggie Oliver Foundation. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Maggie. Before we talk, um, we're just going to look at a bit of a clip from a video which your foundation has produced. So here it is. Six people have been found guilty of a range of offences involving the sexual exploitation of teenage girls in Rotherham. These men sexually abused vulnerable young girls in the Oxford area. Hundreds of girls are thought to have been abused in Telford over two decades. Huddersfield has joined an infamous list of English towns and cities where young, vulnerable white girls have been groomed by groups of men, often of Muslim and British Pakistani heritage. It was called Operation Augusta, an innocuous name for a police investigation that's raised many more questions than it ever answered. It began with Victoria Golia, a child groomed and raped while in care. She'd be 32 this year. She's been dead longer than she lived. She died and they let it go. They will let it go. They're not sorry. They know what happened. How can they be sorry? Since her granddaughter's death, Joan has refused to accept the official version. And she's right, those meant to protect her granddaughter did know what was happening. They knew Victoria was being raped, they knew other girls in care were being raped too. But the investigation triggered by Victoria's death was closed down, its resources pulled, so the abuse carried on. Today, with the police whistleblower who exposed the failings next to her, the new official version was revealed. The authorities knew that many were being subjected to the most profound abuse and exploitation, but did not protect them. This is a depressingly familiar picture seen in many other towns and cities across the country. The investigation in Manchester was one of the first. Officers identified dozens of victims and close to 100 potential suspects. But then it was stopped when senior officers decided to pull all its resources. This wasn't a mistake by senior police officers. This was a deliberate closing down of a live investigation because for whatever reason they couldn't be bothered. They left those kids to their own devices. They let the men continue to to abuse children, they will not have stopped. For me, there should be accountability now. Maggie, that was produced by your foundation. I mean, before we go back a bit, can you just tell us what you do with the foundation? Yeah, we're with um, the Maggie Oliver Foundation. I would say it's got two distinctive roles. One is to help 
um, survivors and victims of childhood sexual abuse, adult survivors, um, who feel that they've got nowhere else to go and are still being failed massively. The second side to the foundation is to continue to talk about and expose the failures um, to protect children that are still evident today. Yeah. You know, the case that you've just seen referred to, Operation Augusta, was back in 2004 and five, um, and those in positions of power would have the public believe that everything is now fantastic mm -hmm. and it's no longer the case. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you categorically that it is still the case mm -hmm. and that many, many victims are still not being heard um, and are not being treated with, with respect. I mean, this is, it seems to be one of those issues where the public consider it a massive issue, but officialdom, uh, the powers that be or whatever, for whatever reason, do not. I think that's a very fair point, Peter. Um, what I always say is that there seems to be a massive disconnect between those at the top and those who are using the criminal justice system. You know, um, you only have to go into any town and city to know, uh, speaking to the public, that the, the, the trust in the authorities to deal with this particular kind of crime is non-existent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I believe in the law. I believe in justice. You know, I gave 16 years of my life to do a job that I really believed in. But that job, it, the, one of the most important roles that I had was to protect the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And if it's a civilised society, we are allowing child abuse to continue unchallenged on an industrial scale. That is not a country that I want to live in. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's very simple. You know, is it right or is it wrong that we allow children to continue to be abused when we know that that is the case? And, you know, for me, no, it's unforgivable. You see, the, the latest attempt to uh, show that they mean business on the part of the establishment, if you like, or the government, was this report that came out in December, uh, which was meant to be investigating fully at a cost of tens of millions, I believe, and went on for a long time. And basically, Maggie, the general attitude towards it seems to be that it was pretty much a kind of cop-out or a whitewash. Would you, you'd go along with that? I, I would go along with it. I mean, I wish they'd given those hundreds of millions of pounds to the Maggie Oliver Foundation yeah, yeah. because we would transform this country with that money. Yeah. But what I see, and, and actually that report is the latest for me in a long line of um, what I would call willful blindness. Yeah. You know, I was one of the core participants in the ICSA National Abuse Inquiry looking at organised networks last, I think it was September. Um, and that was meant to be looking at grooming gangs and looking at organised networks who abuse children. Um, and yet, People like me, I was initially accepted as a, a non-institutional witness, as were the Centre for Women's Justice, as were Parents Against Child Exploitation. Every one of us was uh, prevented from speaking. Mm. My statement of 60 
60 pages was uh, deleted and 14 pages shared. Um, but the, the issue for me there was, how can you look at organised networks and grooming gangs when you don't include a single one of the areas in the north of England? This Where is a point, these, yeah. isn't it? I mean, this is crucial that basically I think places like Rochdale, um, Rotherham, whatever, were not included. This is almost surreal. It seems crazy. Well, I spent, um, I had a, a legal team and we, um, we did our very best to work with ICSA to explain um, that you, to, to, to find out what is going on, you have to look at the facts. And it seems to me that um, there is no desire that, to, to actually examine the facts, to look at what is really going on. And for me, by doing that, you are allowing extreme groups and extreme opinions to hijack this whole debate um, when really as a country we should be gathering the facts and we should be looking at how we put it right and those who fail at the top of organizations like greater manchester police like the met they should be held accountable when they knowingly fail in their duty to do it but it's as though there's a whole bubble around this issue and nobody wants to get a grip of it nobody wants to address it and the the consequences are that it continues and that more children are abused and the public lose trust and have lost trust in a criminal justice system which is quite frankly failing in what it is meant to be doing and and that doesn't give me any sense of joy to say that it breaks my heart mm. because you know i gave 16 years of my life as a police officer because i believed in what i was doing that you know i was there to uphold the law to protect the vulnerable and the law in this country says that a man of 50 or 60 cannot have sex with a child of 10. Mm. that is not you know it is not racist it is not um divisive to say that that is the law um and it is as though that this topic has become um, the elephant in the room and, and that isn't good enough because unless we address it, children are going to continue to be abused. Trust in our criminal justice system will continue to, to collapse um, and where will that lead us? But I think that the, the people, you know, people outside of government, whatever, the public, have got a pretty good sense of what is sort of going on in a way. Um, I mean, with this report, uh, as you say, they didn't use certain uh, areas, they used others. And it seems that what they did was to rely on a supposed lack or shortage of data about various groups. Now, you know, let's be honest about this. We were talking about um, the fact that you've got grooming gangs largely made up of Muslim Pakistani men uh, abusing specifically white girls. I would have thought that if it, the boot was on the other foot and it was sort of white guys in packs marauding and, and basically, you know, raping uh, black or Asian girls, this would be a huge deal. That is the nub of it, isn't it? That basically it's a about political expediency. They don't want to face that. I, th I think there's a, a great deal of truth in what you're saying. Um... I would say that I don't think it is only the ethnicity issues yeah. that um, have prevented this particular issue being grasped. 
I do, I do believe personally that there is a class element to it. Yes. You yeah. know, I think that those at the top, you know, I mean, I said in, in when I was leaving Greater Manchester Police, my question to the chief constable was, if these were your daughters, would you turn a blind eye? And um, and I think that there is an attitude of the, amongst those who are in, you know, um, very well educated, very affluent areas that this won't happen to their children. And, and, and really, there, there is an element of truth in that because the children themselves are targeted because they are vulnerable. Right, right. But I would also say that within, I think there are certain things that as a, a white middle-class woman, I would be accused or um, accused of, of talking out of place by saying certain things. But I do think that, that the women in that community as well are getting a raw deal. Yeah. You know, I think that there is a great deal of misogyny in, in, mm. um, in the way that the women in that community are treated. Mm. And, and I feel that as a country, we have a duty to protect those as well as to protect our own children. Mm. Um, and whilst race and ethnicity um, is part of it, it actually doesn't have to be the reason that we address it. The reason no, is not. the no. law. Yeah, you know, yeah. the law says that it is illegal in this country to... to to rape a child of 10 or 11. Well, the number of times I've seen that happening and um, and, and nothing being done mm. is um, shocking. Really. Yeah, yeah. I think it's sort of, you know, again, it's not actually almost a, ra a racial thing. It's actually, in this case, you might say a religious thing. Um, I, You know, because I think there, there seems to be this um, blanket kind of, you know, uh, term, which a lot of people get very angry with, like Sikhs get very angry, you know, about just, yeah. you know, being sort of clumped in this world with people. You mentioned the class part of it. Uh, I, I know exactly what you mean. There is this sense that these girls were like low down anyway, right? Yeah. That, that basically they were, you know, in a shocking way, sort of like, oh, well, they had it coming. Isn't that the sort yeah, of Yeah, they don't deserve to be protected. And, and you know, I think for me, that makes it even worse because children, men, many of these children, when I worked on Operation Augusta, most of those children were in care mm. um, on Operation Span. And I, I cover this in, in my book. If, you know, it's very difficult in 45 minutes to to cover all the different... The book, um, by the way, is called Survivors. Yeah. <laughs> you can get it. It's on Amazon. Yeah, if you can't get to a bookshop, very good. Yeah, if anybody wants to read the full the full story, um, I would suggest that they read it because mm. I go into great detail. But I first saw this issue in 2005 with Operation Augusta. And as that very short video clip has just um, briefly referred to, Greater Manchester Police had, um, we had about 100 men on a, on a database, paedophiles. Mm. We had in excess of three dozen children who were being raped on a daily basis. Mm. Greater Manchester Police chose to close that job down and pretend it hadn't happened. Um, now, because I never gave up about it, there was an independent review put together. And now some senior officers have been referred to the IOPC. Uh, they're under investigation. Um, but the, the situation actually hasn't changed because we're 15 years further on and yet this report that has just come out, th there is an enormous vacuum in the middle of it 
about this very subject. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that they're not collecting the data that we need to be able to understand what's going on. And without the facts, how can we find a solution? Why aren't they collecting the data? Because I think it, it, they don't want to know the facts. But you only have to look. I, I am not saying that what I would say, the vast majority of child abuse in this country mm. is carried out in the family. Mm-hmm. But we don't avoid that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an, an issue with people in power abusing children. So we've got the Catholic Church. Mm. We've got Jimmy Savile. We had um, Harvey Wein- Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein. We don't avoid those subjects. We tackle them face mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So why is it that when we go to look at um, organised networks. We don't look at the areas where that is happening. When we have the report in um, in December put together by the Home Secretary, there is a complete lack of evidence around this particular kind of offending. And you have to question why is that? Can You, you can put me right here, actually, Meg. As, as I understood it, um, there's quite a lot of data when you say most abuses in the home, etc. But that when it comes to this particular thing, what, what has been called you know, grooming gangs, I think there's a technical term yeah. for it, you know, that in fact, this was relatively new. I mean, or rather just simply not something, therefore they collect uh, data on. But going back to when you were, you know, with Manchester Police, you resigned in 20. 20- 12. But when was the first time you ever heard about any of these cases when you were there? Well, 2004. 2004. I didn't know about it, but the government knew about it. Mm. Um, Anne Cryer was the MP for yep. Keithley mm. in South Yorkshire in the late 90s. And her constituents were going to her um, talking um, and, and begging for help that their children were being abused in that community. She went to Parliament and she begged and pleaded for people to take it seriously. She went into the mosques and nobody would get a grip. We're 25 years further on. But I didn't know about it in the 90s, but I did from 2004. Yeah. Um, and what happened was, um, as, as I just said, that we had, uh, it was a major incident. GMP had resourced it. I was on that job from the start. And uh, my husband was terminally ill. And I went off work to look after him in his last couple of months. With that job, a full major incident, everything was going on to the Homes database, which is a, a very complex um, um, recording system. Mm. Um, and, and that job was a, a runner. We had the evidence, we knew who was abusing, we knew where the abuse was happening. I came back to work three months later and the job had died a death. It had been completely buried. And I could never get my head around why. And I tried to um, challenge that decision, to get answers. Nobody would give me any answers. And eventually I had to let it go. I had no paperwork, I had no evidence. But when I was asked to go on Operation Span five years later, initially I, I refused to go on it because I didn't want to be back in the same position. Yeah. But eventually I was convinced we wouldn't see a repeat of what had happened. And I saw the same thing happen again. And, and that's when I felt um, I, had to speak up. And and I spent 18 months within the police going to every rank, up to the chief constable, Peter Fai. I went to the Home Office. I went to the Children's Commissioner, the IOPC. Nobody wanted to listen. 
Um, and really, nothing has changed. Yeah. You know, nobody, not one senior police officer has been held accountable for knowingly neglecting their duty. And by neglecting their duty, they are allowing the abusers to continue to abuse. They are allowing new generations of children to continue to have their lives mm. destroyed. And that's why I started the foundation, because I've lost hope that the establishment will do the job they're meant yeah. to do. Yeah. So at the foundation now, we are gathering our own evidence. Next year, if a report came out like that, we will have our own numbers, yeah. we will have the stats, we will have the figures, which will come from the people who are being let down every single day. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be in a position where we have to do that. But what is the alternative? Mm -hmm. 25 years ago, Anne Cryer was saying exactly what people are saying today, and we're no further on. And, and I care about children. I think you know? the I think there was an interesting uh, point about this latest report was that Pretty Patel uh, wrote I think the forward to it or something, and and she sort of more or less not exactly distanced herself from it, but sort of said something along the lines of we cannot use lack of data as some kind of excuse not to do, which is extraordinary for a Home Secretary. It's almost like she's going against what her own civil servants have come up with, in a way. I mean, I haven't got inside knowledge as such, but I have had conversations with Priti Patel. Um, my gut feeling is that she's as horrified by this as I am. Yeah. Um, my gut feeling is, although I'm not a politician, that the men in grey suits in the background are the ones who are preventing this information mm, from going out. Mm. I'm, I'm on a commission with Sajid Javed. I get the feeling from him and from that commission that they, they understand as clearly as I do what the issues are. Mm. And yet there is still a reluctance to tackle it. Mm. Um, and we have to because, you know, you, you look at what happened outside the court for the Operation Span trial, when we had the um, the English Defence League mm. rioting, and you know, I don't want to see that in this country. But nor can I turn a blind eye mm. when I know that children are being failed. But the I suppose the problem is this: is that you mentioned about extremism and everything before. I, I totally see your point. But in the eyes of some people, in politicians, that even to bring this up, you're being troublesome, and almost that makes you uh, a political extremist. I mean, to yeah. actually even bring it up. You know, this is the kind of Alice in Wonderland world we're living in. You, you were portrayed in that BBC drama, Three Girls, weren't you? Which was about, well, it actually took in your resignation, didn't it? Just at the end, my, my, my story really begins when the drama ends. And, and I'm still involved with some of the Rochdale girls. And in fact, we um, have got an outstanding case against GMP and against the CPS, which um, I'm involved with the Centre for Women's Justice. It, it, we hopefully will settle it within the next yeah. couple of year, uh, couple of months, but um, but the drama itself I worked on for four years as the program consultant. So and and I feel it's done a fantastic job mm. of educating the country on what grooming gangs do, yeah. um, and how they target the most vulnerable children 
um, in the community. Um, what I didn't feel it did, I didn't feel it went far enough in highlighting the failures of um, GMP, of the police and the Criminal Prosecution Service. Um, by GMP, by the way, sorry, just for people who don't know who are watching from outside Britain, that's the Greater Manchester Greater Police. Greater Manchester yeah. Police, yeah. And I mean, the situation since Operation Span has actually got worse. And there are only 1.5% of allegations of rape that now get to court. And I mean, that means that, you know, 98.5 out of every 100 rapes reported mm -hmm. don't get to court. Mm -hmm. And these cases where the abuse happens by the grooming gangs are extremely difficult cases to run. They are complex. Mm. They do take a lot of commitment. They take a lot of time um, and dedication to um, to bring to fruition. And for me, part of the reason that we don't see success is because the the, the public have lost trust in in the yeah. in the police. Mm. And you know, my personal opinion is that it shouldn't be police officers who are building relationships with the victims. I don't believe they have the time. They are, I'm not mm. saying they don't have the skill. There are some very good police officers, but a, a detective constable who is asked to gain the trust of a child who's horrendously damaged um, is a resource at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, they won't be given the time to build a relationship, to build that trust. I believe that a victim of, of this abuse should have one person that stays with them through the whole process. I think that is one really big way that we could improve the way this is dealt with. Mm. I think that an, another um, massive failure is that we don't or they haven't collected the data that we need. Mm. Um, that has to be collected. Uh, without being f frightened of being accused of being racist. It isn't racist, it's looking at the facts. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need accountability for senior police officers to be held ac to account yeah. when they knowingly fail. And really, I will not give up on this until somebody is held to account. A chief constable who knowingly closes down a live operation where there are dozens of children being abused, for me, is guilty of misconduct in a public office. Yeah, yeah. He should be held to account in the same way as a, a normal detective constable would be. And that is not what we see. We have just had a, um, a situation in Manchester where Greater Manchester Police have now gone into special measures. Um, and there were 80,000 serious cases that weren't recorded last year. The chief constable has been allowed to, he, he went off sick. He will be allowed to resign, uh, retire. He will draw a pension. Mm. He will walk away as though nothing has happened. And for me, um, I believe that if chief constables today knew that if they knowingly neglect their duty, that they could be held legally accountable. I think we would see some changes. Mm. Uh, that That is, you know, that for me would bring it to a personal level for them. When you left and you know, became a whistleblower, uh, what was life like with, with regard to the police? Did, I mean, what was it, did they kind of go for you? I mean, what, what was it like personally? It still actually triggers me talking okay. about that. Okay. Um, I, it was the worst two years of my life. Mm. Um, and 
I was very naive at the beginning of that, that journey. I truly did not believe that Peter Fahey, who was the chief constable, knew what was going on. I truly believe that when I went to him eventually for help and explained that these kids were being failed, that the men that were abusing them were being allowed to continue to walk the streets, that the, the allegations of rapes were not being recorded, I believed he would throw his hands up and say, oh my God, you know, I'm going to do something about this. What actually happened was the polar opposite. Um, you know, I was attacked as um, a woman who became too emotionally involved. You know, I'd kind of been bereaved and I'd lost the plot. And this is from people who knew that what I was saying was the truth. This is your husband. You lost your husband yeah. at this time. Yeah. I'd, well, I'd lost my granddaughter as well, my husband five years previously. But it was those things were used to shoot the messenger. Mm. But I knew that what I was saying was right. Um, I just was not prepared for the, for the for the for the for Greater Manchester Police and the establishment getting together and trying to destroy me. Mm. You know, I was threatened um, by a very senior officer that I must not speak about what I knew. That I had, you know, as a police officer, everything that I knew was subject to data protection. Mm. It was private. And if I spoke out about it, you'd be very careful what, what you say. You know, you will go to prison. And I, I spent 18 months, um, actually a lot of it sat at home um, because I actually collapsed at work. I, yeah. One day I was at work and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. Um, I knew what was happening, but I didn't know what to do about it. And when the chief constable and I went to the Home Office, I went to the Children's Commissioner, I went to the IOPC, I went to my own police federation, um, just trying to be heard. Um, and, I, you know, eventually I collapsed at work and I was then faced with a very stark choice. Um, either you come to work um, and you do your job, go home, get your wage and, and be silent. Or if you want to speak out publicly, um, I knew I would have to resign. Yeah. And in fact, what, what made my mind up was um, a conversation with a, with a senior officer um, who ultimately um, agreed with me um, and said, I agree, you know, you are right. I, you, you're perfectly correct and I agree with everything you're saying. She said, but you know, as a detective constable, your job is to come to work and do as you're told. Mm -hmm. It's the job of senior officers to make these decisions. And if you can't follow those decisions, then maybe you're in the wrong job. Um, and I've got four kids. Mm. And I knew that 30 years down the road when I'm no longer here, I, I truly believe this would come out. At that time, nobody had spoken out. Mm. But I knew that my conscience, first of all, wouldn't allow me to walk away from this. And secondly, I didn't want my legacy to my children to be, well, my mum worked on that job and why did she not yeah, speak yeah, out? Yeah. But it was the hardest decision of my whole life. Um, you know, it led to me, I lost my home that I'd been in for 25 years. I lost my income. You know, I lost my mental health. I really thought I was losing the plot mm. because why is it only me saying this? Mm. 
I questioned my own sanity, but something in me would not let me walk away from it. And that is why when the public support me and they understand what I'm saying and they, they encourage me to carry on, mm. that is what has got me to this place. And, you know, um, money doesn't mean a great deal to me, but my conscience does. Mm. And if I truly believe in something, th this, this whole subject is wrapped up with accusations of being racist and being, you know, a bad person. For me, it is about child protection. Yeah, but also nobody really, really believes that. No, you know, when, when they, they throw these labels around, I know. this is now almost becoming meaningless actually now. But the, but the thing is, Maggie, is that, you know, Nobody thinks that you are. Nobody thinks that anyone who brings this up, really, they just use it to try to stop people. Uh, yeah, and I think we've come a long way, Peter, from when I first spoke out in 2013, mm. when I was first on the Today programme, and I said that these are not Asian grooming gangs. There are many Pakistani men. Mm, mm. And you only have to look at the men who were in prison from all the cases around the country yeah. to see that. That's the point, actually, because, you know, you talk about lack of data. It is a very unscientific way, maybe, but you could maybe just look at the people who were mostly convicted or, you know, or in jail. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you know, that is as plain as the nose mm. on your face. And um, I had a, I did an interview with the, um, what's his name, Majid? from the Quillam Foundation. All oh, right, yes, yes. And um, he, he is a Pakistani guy, and he quoted the, the statistics that, that reflect the, the makeup of the, um, this kind of um, abuse compared to the percentage of people of that ethnicity in the country. And, and it really is, you know, unavoidable. Mm. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to get to grips with that. When you were, you know, going through that terrible period, and you, you mentioned there that you spoke to a colleague, did you have allies during that time? I mean, at all in my the co Some of my colleagues, yeah. Your co they were, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and the reality is, you know, there are many police officers who support what I'm trying to do. Mm. Um, and many, many know that I'm speaking, well, the vast majority know that I am speaking mm. the truth. Mm. Um, but in order to support me publicly, they would have to lose the job too. Yeah. Um, you know, Greater Manchester Police couldn't have sacked me because I did nothing wrong. But what, what they would have done, they would have stuck me in some dead-end job mm. that made me thoroughly miserable. And the one good thing that I did, I took that power away from them. You know, my conscience is intact. Mm. I know that I've done the right thing. I did what I believed in, and I was fighting for those who didn't have a voice. So for that, I feel proud of myself. But it was a difficult, um, a, a difficult path to tread. Well, but the thing is, I mean, you know, you say it's one of the hardest decisions you made when you did. And then you also said, you know, but my conscience is important. So it's one of those odd things in life, isn't it, where it's a hard decision, but actually there is no choice. Not you, no, there is no choice. There wasn't what are you going to do? Go and just you know, watch the television or whatever, you know? You know. But, but where are all those other people with a conscience like me? Well, maybe they're just frightened. I think I think that is the I think that is absolutely the truth. And I'm working with um, Whistleblowers UK to try and make it safer. Mm 
for somebody or for the many people who find themselves in my position to be able to safely speak out because it shouldn't be a choice between your you know your livelihood and your conscience mm -hmm. um it, it really should not have come to that for me um but that you know i look at i look back i'm i i always describe myself as an ordinary woman I was a, you know, a wife, I was a mum, I was a police officer. I believed in the law and I gave 16 years of my life to something that I truly believed in. Um, you know, put away the really bad guys. I, I was never interested in somebody talking on the mobile phone, sadly, or, you know, driving with no lights in the back of your car. But people who destroy children's lives deserve to go to prison mm. for a long time. Mm. And the reality that hit me was that those people at the top don't care about these children. And I could not square that circle. Um, and I was left with no option other than to either accept that this is what happens or resign to speak out. And, and I chose to resign and speak out. Um, but I shouldn't have had to do that. Um, and I feel we need a system in this country that allows people to be heard without jeopardizing their whole future. Um, the, the, but looking back, I don't trust the criminal justice system mm. because of what I have seen. You know, I feel that I was used and I feel that ordinary, decent police officers like me are also being used. And that when senior police officers get to a certain rank, whether it's superintendent or chief superintendent, I believe they don't get any further unless they can let go of the conscience and look at the, the protection of the organisation above everything else. Mm. And for me, that is a, a real weakness and it's a failure in the system. We should have transparency and honesty in order to um, grow, to, 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 to get back a, a criminal justice system that we can trust. That is what we need and, and that is sadly lacking and all these reports that tiptoe around this issue prove that mm. to me. I, it's a very tough one actually but have you got any way of telling us or giving us an idea of quite how big this issue is you know across the country? It's very difficult isn't it I would have thought but you know you hear of town here, town there, town there and, but you know, what are we talking about? I mean, it's like sounds like hundreds of thousands of rapes. It is hundreds of thousands. I mean, um, Bar um, Baroness Jay. I mean, she looked yeah. at Rotherham, and you know, the, the the figures there in a very small period of time were astonishing. Um, and that is why they won't look at the other towns and cities. They won't look at Rochdale. They won't look at. Um, at, at Middlesbrough, at Huddersfield, at, you know, all the, at Telford, all these towns and cities. But the people in those cities know what's going mm. on. Um, in the, found, you know, in the Maggie Oliver Foundation, in the past year, we've been, we've helped more than 2,000 victims. You know, these are not historical cases. These yeah. are current cases. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got um, some of my volunteers are survivors themselves. And they have come to us because they see this situation all around them in the towns where they live, whether it's Halifax or Huddersfield or Rochdale, it is mainly a northern problem. Although there was a case in Oxford 
and there are cases in other places in the country. I think in Bristol was that the Yeah, I think that, you know... But not really, I quite agree. Yeah, not, I think it is mainly, order. you know, mm. many of the people who come to the Foundation for Help mm. um, are in the north. Mm. There's a, you know, a big case in Cumbria at the moment, um, you know, that there are, you know, I... You know, there's all the continue to be attempts to silence me. Actually, really, yeah, um, and and I'm a you know I I still sometimes I'm a little bit fearful mm. because I do put my neck on the block mm. a little bit, um, but the truth is the truth, and the decision to tell the truth was a very difficult choice for me that led to me losing my job and my home and everything. But once you have made that choice, there is no going back. How did the media treat you on the whole? Really well, Mm. really. I've never had any bad press. I've had nothing but support. Um, The one thing I would say is that I find that the mainstream media on the whole avoid Mm. these subjects. Um, I was involved with a, in fact, uh, Sky TV did a a, a documentary yeah. before Christmas. Um, those were two of the girls that the foundation is helping. But they are current cases, and um, it, it got a lot of attention that story. But um, I do find that the mainstream media tiptoe around the issue. Um, they'll have a, a an occasional flurry of activity, but. I think because we've got the internet now and we've got social media, it is a lot harder to um, silence somebody. Mm. So I, you know, I I try and share things on Twitter. I'm not great at social media, but (laughs) I get Join the club. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Instagram where many of my followers are survivors and victims, LinkedIn, Facebook page. So I do my best, but the, the media in general have been really supportive of me. Well, that's something. Yeah. Uh, that's not to be serious. You're not in. You don't feel when you say you you get very worried sometimes. People trying to maybe stop you, and you, you're not in ever, ever in any physical danger, are you? No, I mean people have um, often asked me, "Do I feel um, threatened?" Mm. Um, implying by by the abusers, <laughs> and the, but no, I haven't. Um, my fear has always been of the establishment. Yeah. You know, I yeah. firmly believe that um, the authorities have got a file on me somewhere yeah. and that they would love me to really step out of line, mm. make an example of me. But that's because I've told the truth. Mm. You know, I've rattled a lot of cages, mm. um, but I haven't, I, I wish I didn't have to. And I shouldn't actually have to because I am talking about things that it is their duty to do. You know, the police and the criminal justice system and the CPS, social services, their duty is to protect children. Mm. And I have exposed the fact that they are not doing that and they don't like it. Um, But I'm sorry, you know, do your job and I won't need to. Mm. I would love to, you know, for this to all go away. Mm. I would love me not to have to talk about this again because it's all been sorted out but it hasn't you know that the authorities still blame victims there is still an element of these kids Mm. are asking for it you know they shouldn't be out on the streets at 11 o'clock at night well you know what they shouldn't my kids wouldn't have been but that's why they're vulnerable Mm. 
in the first place. So don't shoot those kids. Focus your attention on the grooming gangs, on the abusers. Mm. You know, find a way to take them off the streets, whatever that takes. And I will not go away until they sort it out. And I will not go away until senior police officers are held legally accountable. And the foundation is starting to build that evidence. We definitely need funding. We need support mm -hmm. because the, you know, the powers that be are not gonna fund us because they don't want us to find what we will find. Um, but I would make it clear that the foundation is not just for survivors of grooming gangs. No, I It is yeah. for all adult mm -hmm. survivors mm -hmm. of any form of childhood sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, any child who is abused is potentially having their life destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not, I think what we're trying to do is find alternative ways to help those survivors to look ahead you know, the, the, the strap line of the foundation is transforming pain into power. Yeah. And in a, in a weird way, that's what I've tried to do. You know, I have had a lot of pain in my life mm. and I am trying to make good from that pain. I'm trying to use it productively to benefit people who don't have a voice. Um, and I don't know of any other way to do it than by talking about what is wrong. Um, but I would like a bit of my life back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you from Manchester originally? Yeah, I, I was born in, in Lancashire yeah. um, and I've lived there all my life. Yeah. So, yeah, just a northern girl. And a bit, a bit of police, a police officer for like 16 years, you said? Yeah. So before that, what, what, were you, what were you doing? I was just, you know, I mean, I travelled a lot. I, was, I had four kids. Um, I was a stay-at-home mum for many years. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Absolutely, that has been the... How unfashionable, you're not meant oh, yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am old-fashioned, you know, my husband, we had very traditional roles. My yeah. husband was a joiner, we had a normal life. Yeah. My kids were the centre of my life. And then I actually got to um, 37 and I thought, you know, my youngest son was at school. No, my youngest son was just going, was he just starting school? I went back to university full-time because I didn't... I want, I'm a busy person yeah. and I mean, it, it might be a bit sexist to say it, but men tend to, you know, go to work and they stay in a career and they, mm. as a woman, you very often have a bit of a, mm. Mm, a transition. You go through different phases and um, for me, I didn't want to get to 40. My kids are a bit older. I've got no purpose in my life. So I decided I was going to teach. So I went back to university full-time. I did a full-time um, humanities degree. What did Look, you do? Uh, humanities. I did English and history and oh, sociology okay. Okay, and yeah. absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it got me back into an adult world. And then in my final year, I applied for my PGCE to do my teaching. And I thought, well, if I don't get in, what am I going to do? I thought, well, what, what job will take me through to retirement? that I could really in, get involved with uh, something really, get my teeth into actually child protection and I applied to the police. So at the ripe old age of 41, I joined Greater Manchester Police. That, so the, the, that, that means you were late, what did they call them? Is a, 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 you know, a mature, I was a mature student and a late joiner. <laughs> a late joiner, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I bet they wish I'd never joined. <laughs> well, no, but the thing, isn't this funny about life you see, like, is it, I mean, you, you it was a sort of second part, you know, second career in a way, you know, you, yeah. you did that. And and here you are sitting, we're talking about something that you could not have foreseen then. 
Life's very funny like that, isn't it? You know, I, I think the older I've got, the more... I'm not religious, but I'd say I'm quite spiritual. And mm. I look back at my life and I wonder sometimes whether it was all meant to bring me to this place. Mm. Because, you know, I had four kids. I loved children. I had lived a life. Um, I'd travelled a lot. I've seen lots of different... And, and you know, at 41, I wasn't impressionable. I had a very well-developed sense of what was right and was wrong, but nobody would have put me in the police. Mm. No, you know, nobody would have, and I, and I loved it. I absolutely loved my job. I went into serious crime. I was a family liaison officer. I worked on some of the biggest jobs that GMP had because I was different. You know, people did trust me because I can be trusted. Um, so I worked on gang-related shootings. I worked on kidnappings. Um, a little boy who was kidnapped in Pakistan. I was the family liaison officer. I did witness protection jobs. I relocated families who had been, you know, key witnesses on big gang trials. I loved it. Um, but my conscience wouldn't let me walk away from something so monumental. But it threw me into a place that I didn't expect to be. You know, I was unemployed at the age of, what was I, 55 or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, I anticipated staying another 10 years. You know, it left me in a place where I had no purpose. Um, everything I'd worked for all my life was kind of ripped away. Mm. And they tried to destroy me. Mm. You know, they wouldn't have cared if I'd ended up in a, in a mental home for the rest of my life because... Um, they threw the whole weight of the organisation against me um, and they almost succeeded. But there's something in me that thought, you know what, you have picked on the wrong one. I am telling the truth here and I am not going to fail these kids because that's why I did it. So I, I ignored what they did to me. I tried to ignore it and I focused on what they were doing to the children who had no voice. And I think that fired me up. And when the, the Peter Fire, the chief constable, is saying that I am a woman who has lost the plot and, you know, I, um, I became too emotionally involved, I thought, how dare you? How dare you? I am not a woman who became too emotionally involved. I did the job that you asked me to do. And now you've pulled the rug away, not only from me, but from all these kids who have spent eight months unburdening their hearts because Greater Manchester Police begged and pleaded of them to do that. So I couldn't, um, I couldn't allow them to silence me, really. You mentioned that the media have actually been quite good with you. Yeah, they have. Um, and so, like in the in the years since 2012, I mean, you, you, you I know you've done Loose Women quite a bit, haven't you? Loose Women, big show. Yeah. And also you were on Celebrity Big Brother, weren't you? Yeah. Is this your, one of your ways you have of actually just propagating the message and basically yeah. getting you know, people to know what you're doing? Yeah, yeah I think um, I have to talk to different people, mm. um, different age groups. Um, for me, knowledge is power. Mm. And we have to educate the country um, and bring them along with this um, argument. Um, and the only way of doing that is so, as, you know, people are not, silly they're not stupid if you give them the information and you give them the evidence they form their own opinions so for me it's about spreading the information that i have sharing my knowledge and leave people to make up their own minds but you know celebrity big brother 
Um, it was it was great fun. Um, it was like a bit of lightness in a what is quite often a, a, a dark subject, yeah. but it's watched predominantly by younger people, um, and I wanted them to know what was going on. They didn't show a lot what, what I said. <laughs> they, they couldn't get it through the legal department apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. means it. it was true. <laughs> yeah, it was true. Yeah, it was true, yeah. but they didn't get it through yeah, there. Yeah. Um, you know, Loose Women, I've been on this morning. I, I couldn't, you know, I've done so many interviews trying to spread the truth, really. Um, and I'm very grateful to people to listening to what I've got to say. Um, I have got no power. You know, I am not, um, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't. Um, have any I can't use force or anything but I I do believe in the decency of ordinary people mm. and I know that the the ordinary decent people in this country know that what I'm saying is true and they are as horrified as me that it is allowed to continue um, without being tackled effectively you said there you mentioned a bit earlier with your uh, the Maggie Oliver Foundation that you you actually do deal with all forms of abuse but the thing is uh, how will people how is it best for people who maybe are watching uh, who want to help or volunteer whatever what should they do I mean we will put a link to the foundation and what 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 kind of thing can they do and give money maybe yeah the first thing is funding Um, that is really with the right with funding I can bring more people in to help me. We're a very small team. I've got one paid person alongside me, but I have got 32 volunteers. 32. Yeah. yeah. So it, I'm, you know, I've never made a penny from this, um, but I want people to, who believe in what I'm trying to do, if they want to support a charity, please support the Maggie Oliver Foundation. Yeah. Uh, we are desperate for, for funding. Um, volunteers, people with, with particular skills. I can only manage so many at the moment because I um, look after the volunteers and they're a great team of people who share the passion that I've got. Um, but we need extra people um, to be brought in in paid roles mm. now. And without funding, we can't do that. Mm. But really, the world is our oyster because, mm. you know, we've got our own system now. Um, the, the message that we are giving is is very well received and people know it's the truth. So funding is, is the number funding. one. Um, and with that, you know, I would like to focus on uh, personally as well on the, the other side of the foundation, which is to hold those in senior positions accountable. To account, yeah. Yeah, I would. I would like to bring around the changes that we need. Mm-hmm. And for me, the only way of doing that is through the law mm-hmm. and through those being held accountable. Um, I think that we really could do with the Royal Commission into policing. Yeah. I think the whole criminal justice system needs an overhaul. Mm. That is my expertise. I know the criminal justice system inside out. You know, don't get me started on that. You know, legal aid really is virtually non-existent. Mm. Um, it, it really is. A, a, that is another. That's a, another. Another an interview, interview for another maybe. Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look. In that case, uh, so it, so basically, contact you via your website. Yes. For donation of volunteering, and so it is the Maggie Oliver Foundation. Dot com. Dot com. I think. Could I just say that we in January we have launched our um, phone line. Our phone support helpline. Okay. So anybody, any adult survivor 
of childhood sexual abuse, any. any, who feels alone, who feels isolated, who is has, hasn't been heard, is struggling, mm. contact us via our website mm -hmm. and we will help you. Okay. You know, we'll call you, we will um, ad help you get the support you need. If it's legal help, if it's guidance, if you're not being heard by the authorities, come to us because mm. we will help. Um, well, look, Maggie, I mean, all strengths to you, you know, and and uh, what you're doing. And uh, it's a, also a fascinating personal story, I have to say, yours. You know, I mean, all read, your listeners, read my book. Oh, read, yes. <laughs> read, great, read, read the, the book. book. <laughs> Maggie Oliver, Survivors, there you go. Yeah, and it's uh, not just you. about my work. It, it sort of covered, try, I tried to explain why, I, how I came to this place. Yes. But I could have been probably anybody who's listening to this um, who found themselves in a, a place they didn't really want to be. Well, look, uh, come back, please, we'll, and speak to. to us maybe in later time. And uh, I think, you know, your idea as well of calling the police to account and doing that the legal way and people in authority, I think, is that will very much uh, hit a, a nerve with many people as well. I, think, I hope uh, so. Um, Maggie, thank you very, very much indeed. You, thank you're you. very welcome, Peter. Thank you. That was, uh, that's what we, what we have time for, as they say, in that time on a phrase on uh, so what you're saying is this week. Uh, but we will see you next time. So thank you very much.